<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. As promised, here's Recode's Peter Kafka, the dean of the media reporters, someone we should have had on this podcast a long time before this. Do check out his podcast. It's excellent. He's the best in the business. It's called Recode Media with Peter Kafka. But we have a ton to talk about, so let's not waste any more time. Peter, we were saying offline that this is perfect timing. We delayed talking yesterday because the news actually broke, but Man, just when I was ready to be like, you idiots, you destroyed that Tiffany brand of HBO to be what? You know, an also ran in streaming. They go and do a thing like this and basically guarantee I'm going to be a subscriber. So um, did you see this coming? I mean, someone was going to do this at some point, right? But them and now? I don't know that someone was going to do this at some point. I know Hmm. that all the studios have been spending since March uh, a lot of time figuring out what the heck. Can we swear on this? Sure. On the spot. What the Absolutely. Fuck they're going to do. <laughs> and all of them basically punted at the beginning, but they're all trying to model out what does this mean? Um, well, but I mean, uh, this is inside baseball stuff, but yeah. for the last couple months, there's been all sorts of reorgs, people being fired essentially. And that sort of pointed towards everyone getting the streaming religion as their main business model, right? I, I don't know. Some of this was announcing, you know, like Disney announced a reorg that I think there's less there than meets the eye. Uh, it's certainly important for all the big media companies to tell Wall Street that uh, streaming is very important to them. Uh, and they all want to be sort of rewarded for sort of adopting a Netflix strategy. Uh, Wall Street hasn't really rewarded most of them for it. Um, you know, we, you could say that this, this move has been inevitable for the last decade. You know, every time I've got a movie studio person in, in, in a room or on a stage, we ask them about that. And with the exception of Disney, they've all said, look, we'd like to change the model a little bit. Um, but they haven't been able to do it in, until the pandemic. Well, uh, how, let me ask it this way. Are you surprised that they went with the full slate, right? Because they, they sort of teased this a little bit with, with the Wonder Woman movie, but like that's pretty radical that they would do all of 2021's releases. It is radical. Um, that said, if you're going to do it, do it, right? It makes the marketing and the idea sound much better. You'd say all the movies, every movie we're putting out, you don't have to worry about caveats. You don't have to say yes, but it's also going to cost 30 bucks extra. It makes much more sense for the consumer. It gives you a brand, which they didn't have before. We were just you were referencing HBO, HBO Max prior to this. was HBO plus Friends and other stuff you, that wasn't good enough to be on HBO. It didn't make Right, that's sense. why this is so ballsy, is like it's, they've automatically made themselves a major player. The flip side is, if you're going to get uh, granular about it, there's not a lot of, of movies that are guaranteed blockbusters here. I mean, among the people who are listening to this podcast, they're all going to go see Dune, and that'll right, be a right. big deal. But the last, uh, the last big remake that Denny Villeneuve did was Blade Runner, and that that was underwhelming. It's not guaranteed 
uh, you know, there's a couple suicide superhero. Squad. Yeah, yeah, again, like Suicide Squad one is a famously shitty movie, um, which again, maybe people people want to see. Um, and then the rest of it's like there's like a Sopranos prequel. You know, there's stuff that I might watch, but it's not stuff that I would necessarily be be lining up to see. Well, let me ask you this. Do others have to match this now? Does, does Disney have to match this? That is a big question there. Um, Disney has an investor meeting next week, which they're going to focus on streaming. There was a, a video circulating last month that is supposedly a leak of that presentation, which sort of suggested that Disney was going to do some collapsing of its window as well. No one knows if that's real or not. Uh, Disney has always been the studio that was said most strongly we love theaters and there's not, it's not a coincidence. They have the movies that everyone goes to, to see in theaters. Uh, everyone else is kind of in the middle, but, but most others, most of the other big studios are not part of a vertically integrated media company that has its own subscription video thing. We're getting in the weeds here, but sort of if you, if you stop and think about it for a second, it actually makes sense that Warner would be the one to do this and the other ones haven't or maybe won't. Um, let me ask you two dumb questions from me not understanding the space as well as you. I'm assuming everyone's done the math on this, right? Like they're going to make more money in the end if they have a successful streaming product than, <laughs> than they would. Let me ask it in this way. No, no. Here, okay. okay go ahead. People yeah. are doing the math and they can't figure it out. Okay. I mean, the analyst notes this morning and saying, wait a minute, you're giving up a ton of money, both from the, the theaters and, and plus there's all these knock on effects. Um, and how are you going to justify it? And if the answer is we get a lot more HBO Max subscribers, then the answer is, well, how many do you need mm-hmm. to make up for this? Um, you know, and again, AT&T has its own particularities. So uh, the math here is a big, big question. Right, because we've heard forever it's a hits-based business. This is the definition of a hits-based business where if you can get a film to do a billion and a half dollars at the box office, that makes up for your you know 20 other movies that didn't make back their money. I suppose if they're successful and they have 75 million subscribers two years from now, you know, that's several billion dollars every year guaranteed in revenue, right? So um, there's that. There's also, you know, if Wall Street decides to credit you for owning your own Netflix uh, and it pushes your stock up uh, uh, accordingly, you know, that's worth a ton of money. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a couple different ways to, to skin it. And, and, you know, I find it, I think most people find it impossible to believe they, they are able to sort of go back to normal in 2022. Um, you know, the, the, the approved line is where this is a one time only thing. We are not planning for the future, but, um, it seems like they are setting a precedent. And so it's not just this year's slate of movies, not just this year's money. It's, it's a lot of money in the future they're, they're foregoing. Uh, my other dumb question is, can they do this in the sense that doesn't this blow up a ton of existing contracts? Like, you know, back-end participation contracts, labor contracts, residuals. Um, could, like, they're just sort of taking the leap off the cliff, but they're grabbing other people's hands as they're doing that. Can they do that? They, they think they can do it. I asked Jason Kyler specifically about sort of how the back-end stuff works here. He's like, look, I mean... You know, if you're if you if you were going to get paid based on box office receipts in 2021, you didn't get anything because we had to put your movie out. 
Uh, and if we put your movie out next year, conventionally, it'll be a lot less anyway, because people aren't going to be going to the theaters until maybe, you know, late spring, middle of the summer. Um, and what we are going to do is HBO Max is going to play pay Warner Brothers studio. They're both owned by the same company. They're going to pay them a bunch of money, and that's going to sort of represent some of the theatrical money you would have made. You can get a slice out of that. Um, again, if this becomes the model that everyone's using in the future, then, yeah, a lot of those deals get redone. Uh, switching gears to what we were originally going to talk about, um, you mentioned, uh, by the way, I, I'm going to talk about that interview you did with um, Killar uh, on today's show, but I also am a huge fan of your excellent podcast. Thank I want to recommend that right now, and then we'll talk about it again at the end. But um, I was listening this morning to your interview with Jonah Peretti recently. Um, and the big news has been, you know, BuzzFeed buying HuffPo, everyone going to the New York Times or, or, or to uh, Substacks and things like that. Um, but you asked him what he had learned if, from this year of COVID. And I'm going to ask you kind of what you asked him, which is, it has been by a lot of measures like a bloodbath for media, big M writ large. Are you surprised that digital media has sort of bounced back as quickly as it has to the degree that, and you can, you can disagree with me that it's bounced back, but I was expecting an absolute bloodbath of a lot of digital media startups being killed by COVID. Yeah, I guess you should, I, I don't think digital media startups were affected much more by COVID than any other media company. The biggest media companies were affected by COVID. I am surprised that in general, uh, the economy in general and, and the media economy has bounced back as well as it has. Um, you know, if you looked in March and April and, and you know, you, you, first of all, everyone was just basically March and April, all the ad money went away. And there was a period where it looked like that might be the new normal for a long time. And it turns out it wasn't. And so everyone's sort of worst case scenarios did not, did not, were not realized. Um, you know, I'm also still worried that that we're way too optimistic about the economy next year. But I'm that's I'm just a, a, a an amateur bullshitter when it comes to that stuff. You and uh, me so both. We'll You're see. on the right podcast for that. This yeah. is the right podcast for that. Um, the 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 specific problems of digital media startups um, weren't really about the the pandemic. They're about sort of the underlying structure, and that most of them were based were ba- built to be based on Google and Facebook, and we all know the problems there. Um, and then there's a handful of bright spots, usually much smaller companies that have been able to figure out how to grow, um, grow quickly More from like a very small base. Stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have, you know, some of it is also particular like Morning Brew got bought by Business Insider, which is owned by Axel Springer, which mm-hmm. surprisingly, um, seems like they're very much in the mode of, of wanting to spend money on growth. Um, which as a journalist, I applaud. Uh, a lot of other companies are trying to retrench and figure out how to sort of kick the can down the road. Um, specifically BuzzFeed and HuffPo. I have such a hard time. I, I, I hate the branding of it being HuffPost. You know? yeah. um, Jonah has been talking about this. We all got to band together, band of brothers style, and that's the only way we can compete and get scale for advertising and things like that. So do you expect more roll-ups into BuzzFeed like this? I mean, everyone is still talking about that. Jonah is the one who goes out there and says it the most loudly and says, I want to get all these companies together. And he was trying to buy uh, Group 9 for a long time. Um, you know, the other thing you hear a lot of is if it's not going to be BuzzFeed, there's going to be a SPAC. I don't know if you guys are into 
special. Oh, we love SPACs, yes. Uh, the, 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 the great SPAC media roll-up. That's the other recurring uh, story you always hear about. Every media company, mine included, that we're going to get bought by a SPAC or put together our own SPAC or be involved in a SPAC. All these don't really seem like fundamental answers to the problems. Like Even if you get all the digital media startups together, they still have a very... You know, they're not competing with Google and Facebook. I understand that there's some economy of scale, but it doesn't. If 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 the problem that BuzzFeed or Vox Media or Vice has is that it's hard to compete with Google or Facebook, then even if you like triple or quadruple our size, it's still hard to compete with Google or Facebook. That that doesn't change. It's hard to um, compete with infinite scale. Yeah, <laughs> right. And You're then, never like, on you the know, infinite. And what if we were all part of a public company? Well, it doesn't change our underlying business what it does is allow investors and some employees to cash out which isn't necessarily bad but it doesn't change the business dynamics so it's hard for me to see how any of these are solutions to the underlying problem we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on but when it comes to your health there is no compromise so don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines their family group chat their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance instead check out ZocDoc the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable listen to you and prioritize your health and you can search by location availability and insurance so literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com TechMeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme zocdoc.com slash tech meme whenever i need to do financial research for this show for instance during tech earnings season when i have to analyze how various companies stocks have been performing i only ever turn to our sponsor today yahoo finance for more than 25 years yahoo finance has been the brand behind every great investor Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Another thing that you, you talked to him about in that interview was the New York Times specifically. And I mean, speaking of media companies that seemingly are doing well, um, you sort of asked him, what did the New York Times um, learn to finally get on the right path here? What do you think that was? Because you keep hearing, oh, they were, the Trump was so great for them. But 
I don't think that's it. Like that, that not on a business side. They they were they wanted to go to subscription forever, and suddenly it works. Why does it suddenly work for them? Well, Trump was really good for them, right? There were there were a lot of people who did sign up for the Times and some other publications as a way of sort of resisting Trump. Uh, that's a real thing, and the worry was always what happens, you know, after that first year of the Trump bump. And what's happened is people still want to subscribe to New York Times and Washington Post. Um, you know, I did ask Mark Thompson about this, the who, who was the CEO of the New York Times until uh, mid-fall um, on this podcast, so you can go back and listen to that. But he said, look, there's some of it is nuts and bolts, figuring out how to run the subscription business better and and figuring out marketing strategies, and it's kind of boring stuff unless you're trying to run a business. So some of it is specific. Um, and the, the other tr- answer, I think, is that there really isn't competition for the times they are the one national newspaper um you know in theory the washington post is a national newspaper in the journal etc but those really aren't um and uh, among a significant swath of the country and the world uh they're the most trusted resource for news and it's a great virtuous cycle right you subscribers give them more money they go out and spend money on on good reporters and product people and all that they make a better product well what that was going to be my next question. What do you think of this idea of, you know, if, if Spotify is the brand for music now, right? Um, could we see a reality where there's only, you know, we're used to hundreds of years of there being a galaxy of brands for news. Could there be, a, a, I think it was, who was it? Um, the ex-BuzzFeed guy that had that article that the New York Times is now competing with Facebook. Could there be a future where the New York Times is the primary news brand and they're the best position to be that? Well, I think that's not the future. That's now. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think the problem is, and you know, again, like there's a a good outcome for the Washington Post and the journal is fine. I think the real problem is, and, and no one has an answer for it, and it's decades now, is that local news is dying. Um, and that's bad for our country and our planet if you don't have plausible local news outlets. Um, and no one has solved that problem. And I, I, I you know, I periodically I bring on someone to talk about their plan for that. And there, there really isn't one other than hope. And then a couple sort of, you know, the Texas Tribune is, is the, is the one that everyone always points to, but there's a stunning lack of other Texas Tribunes. Uh, out in the world. And, um, you know, the, the, the ups and downs of the times are fascinating to write about. And, and we're in a very cloistered little media world, so we pay a lot of attention to it. But, you know, what's happening to the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the, the Luth News Gazette? I think that's still the name of the paper. I'm from Minnesota, I should know. Um, and then the much smaller papers where there's just no paper or there's uh, one person there. That's That's the thing that should worry all of us. But to to be the inside baseball conversation for a moment um why is everybody why is everybody taking the checks all of a sudden from the new york times are they just writing big enough checks or are they seeing that that might be the 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 big news brand going forward um i think i a couple things the times is the times for a lot of people that was always the place they wanted to get to so of course you'd go there the times um kind of used to sort of punish you financially for working there and i think they're their their salaries are getting closer to sort of regular market. Um, it's also less Timesian in a lot of ways. So you've got people who maybe wouldn't have worked at the Times or would have tried to work at the Times, but it wouldn't have worked out. And the Times didn't sort of understand how to handle a, a new crop, a new generation of employees who didn't sort of come from traditional newspapers. So it's remade itself in that way. 
Um, it's a confluence of factors. Well, and I, especially the people that have come from Vox, uh, I've noticed that they also come with large podcast audiences. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering how much you think that the Times is thinking of this, like, sort of multi-headed Hydra strategy of we can be in all these channels because all we've got to do is bring the Times brand and, like, the Daily has proven that that can work for them. Well, the daily, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's a lot of people, the Times is, is omnivorous. It wants to do lots of different things. It wants to hire best of class people. It wants, it's specifically interested in some specific subject areas. Um, it has its own sort of feuds and fiefdoms. So, you know, the opinion section sort of has its own uh, set of priorities. Um, the Times has not replicated the success that daily, mm-hmm. um, and it wants to figure out how to do that. So it, it's constantly trying to figure out how it can get more out of podcasting. So yes, they're hiring Kara Swisher, but they're also buying, uh, you know, Ira Glass's company. Um, they're trying to figure out how we can't just be the daily. We've got to figure out other stuff. And they have so far, they have yet to, to prove that out. Um, all right. So if you're big enough, you can take a check from the times and bring your podcast over and get a column. Um, but also, if you're big enough, it's seemingly the thing to do is take money from Substack and go over to Substack. Um, I'm sorry that I, I haven't heard or, or read you your thoughts on Substack, but just what do you think? Of well, if you can wait a couple days, I'm, I have Ooh. a Substack story coming. It's not going to blow your mind, but I, I am. I was supposed to have written a Substack story yesterday, and then and then news happened. All right. Do you want to do you want to play a game with me? Because I've got four. This is not playing devil's advocate, but I got uh-huh. four being skeptical of Substack. So let me let me throw these out at you and comment or, or give me your thoughts because this is just me. Sometimes on this show, this is literally me thinking through stuff with people mm-hmm. that are smarter than me, right? Let's do it. All right, skepticism number one. Is it, does it only work for big names? Like, like everything else, like these people that are making the headlines, well, of course they can get an audience on Substack because they already have an audience, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's one of the big unknowns. Um, and what Substack would say is, hey, Judd Legum, who's um, making more than half a million dollars a year right now based on just sort of what's publicly available, he was not a household name before he got to Substack. He built a cool product and Substack helped him deliver it. Uh, and it works really well. Um, there are other writers you haven't heard about who are now making nice livings on Substack um, because it allowed them to find their audience. That is the pitch. Um, is it much easier for my former colleague, Matt Iglesias, to announce that he's going to Substack and then immediately have thousands of subscribers? Yes, it is much easier for Matt. And the big fundamental question for Substack is, you know, can they create an ecosystem where there are many, 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 many people earning an actual living doing this, even if you've never heard of them? Or is it only going to be sort of weighted towards the mad of the world? So see, that's skepticism number two, because, you know, my frame of reference is blogging. You know, I was there when, when blogging exploded. But again, it was, there were a, a crop of big names that were successful mm-hmm. to, to even in blogging to get an audience big enough that you could throw AdWords on it or, you know, federated yeah. media ads on there. That was a small ecosystem. So, and that's, that's an ecosystem where it's, there's no cost for people to find you. Right. Yeah. Um, so if that, well, you've, you've, you've got it right there. So this is, and this is what Chris Best, their CEO says this, like, yeah, you should think about these the way you thought about blogs, except 
even the most successful blogs um, back in the day didn't really make money. Yes, you, if, if you got big enough, you could throw in some AdWords there. And if you got big enough, maybe Federated Media would throw you a check at the beginning. But there was no real business. Um, you know, web advertising was pretty nascent then. It's only gotten worse. What's happened here is because they've given added the subscription element, it makes it possible for you to have 2,000 subscribers and make a nice living as a journalist. And so you don't have, you know, it is in a lot of ways the promise of the web 1.0 internet that a lot of us bought into that these niches that, that the internet would allow you to find a niche around the world um, and make that and, and, and come into contact with the people who are delivering that niche information or, or be able to distribute that niche information to that audience and make that's, it sustainable. That's my skepticism, though. We've already tried that once. It kind of didn't let a thousand flowers bloom. And we, now, tried it with, we tried it with advertising and advertising. And isn't it harder scale. to get people to pay, though? Well, it is mo- it's certainly harder for, for it, right? But <laughs> there's zero friction for me looking at your blog. Right. Right if I don't have to pay for it. And yeah, it's a, it's a lot for me to fish out six bucks or 10 bucks a month. But if, if you make something I like and I value right. it, and that's, those are big ifs, um, it's a much better system. To that end, another skepticism, everyone, including um, the Substack guys, um, always name check Ben Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, not everyone can be Ben Thompson, right? So, but I, I get the argument, okay, there can be a Ben Thompson for every niche, right? But number two, I, and I say this to everybody all the time, you, you're forgetting a really key factor to newsletters that have always existed, which is expense accounts. If you can justify it for your work, if you can get your boss to pay for it, that's why you have things like the information and skift and things like that, because it is justifiable for your job. I don't know that you can achieve that same level of success for something that is just interest-based. That's not going to make me more money. That's why I pay $100 a year. It is obviously much harder to sell a subscription to someone who has to pay for their own pocket. And especially if you're not saying, we're not going to make you money this way. On the other hand, everyone likes different shit. Now I'm just swearing for swearing's sake. <laughs> and especially if you can't, and I thought the athletic was not going to work because sports content is widely available. Um, but if you are really into a thing and that thing is available to you and you can't get it anywhere else and it, it's actually something that you can afford, again, you don't, need, you don't need millions of people doing this. You need a couple thousand for this model to work. For I, my, my go-to thing was always like, if you're into long-haired Persian cats, which I think are a thing, um, you know, is it worth six bucks a month for you to like join the long-haired Persian cat information club? Sure. And are there a couple of thousand people like you in the world interested in that? Maybe. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features 
features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should, too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. See, you're, you're perfect at this because that, that was exactly hitting the ball back at my skepticism. <laughs> um, I'm, la- I'm, I, this is, it's fun because I'm always the skeptical guy. L- one last one, though. Um, everyone's always like, oh, newsletters, it's so freeing. We're outside the reach of the platforms and the algorithms. Um, and I'm sure, again, Substack has thought about this, but uh, tomorrow Gmail could create a tab for newsletters. And what does that do to open rates and things like that? Like, I, I, and, then, and then there's the question of like how many newsletters. I've got 40, you know, that I'm subscribed yeah. to and things like that. Um, I, again, it seems to be, you know, Steve Jobs old thing about going through an orifice the web is a wide open i feel like an email inbox is an orifice that can get crowded really quickly yes but and it already is crowded right and gmail often takes stuff from my kids school and puts it in the promotions tab i'm like how come i didn't get information about the conference i was supposed to go to yesterday oh it's it's in my spam um it doesn't solve any of those problems. I mean, again, the, the idea of Substack and of any niche media is this is a thing that you care about. And so you're doing, there's friction involved and you are doing work to, to overcome obstacles because you care about this stuff. What, what all of this does, um, or one of the big things the internet does is make a lot of sort of easy to access fluff, right? That you can just spend time flicking through the TikToks of the world and YouTubes of the world. Um, and those businesses have to be scale because you don't have any intent there. You're just kind of killing time. And then there's a handful of things. And sometimes it's Spotify and sometimes it's Substack and sometimes it's a $60 video game and you care a lot about it and you will take out your wallet or your mom's wallet and figure out how to get it to you. Uh, real quick, TikTok. Uh, if you can, what, it, what the hell? was? Is this all just Kabuki theater? Like, is, was there any substance to this at all? Do we expect this to never be brought up again? What do you think? Uh, well, we're recording this on December 4th, which I think was a new deadline for, for, for the TikTok deal to go through. Um, it's pretty fascinating because obviously, uh, you know, the Trump administration did not really care about TikTok. It was clearly, uh, it was always evident that it was a, a, a thing they thought was beneficial to them to talk about politically. Um, and now they've moved on to, to imaginary ballot fraud. And so there's no one there to push this through. But there are thoughtful people who say, yeah, there really is a problem with TikTok uh, being essentially a Chinese company. Ben Thompson is one of them. Um, and so something should be done here. There's a whole wider sort of US-China thing that gets worked out. So this is me just vaping and because I'm vamping, not vaping. <laughs> uh, not in the morning. Uh, you know, I do think that assuming this gets sort of left on the Biden administration's desk, that it doesn't go away and that there'll be some kind of change to TikTok. I don't know if Oracle and Walmart being sort of investors, sort of operators, uh, is this, is the, is the solution in the end. Clearly TikTok is doing just fine. Um, 
even though no one has any idea. Um, to wrap up, Recode Media is your podcast, and I'm going to cop to trying to copy your style in the sense of um, trying to be Butch- ca- butchering my name. <laughs> cash casual i butcher everyone's name uh casual in in conversation but having all of the facts so that it's you know you're you're lined up and smart do you think of doing a podcast interview differently than if you're doing a this is an interview where i'm trying to grill someone to get news uh yeah it's 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 for public consumption right so uh i am trying to both get information out and also help an audience understand what, what, what is being said or not said. So I'm sort of doing, if I'm just, so I interviewed Jason Kyler yesterday and I recorded that, but it wasn't going to be a podcast. And, um, I was able to sort of, it's just, it's a different form of presentation. And I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. Um, it is, I'd say in my top 10 of podcasts that I listen to all the time and, that might sound like top 10, but I listen to 50 podcasts. So I <laughs> uh, listen, I'll take it. And yeah. if, if it's, if it's in your, in your top 10 in the pandemic, that's even better. Cause, cause I know that uh, podcast listening is supposedly rebounded uh, to, to where it was pre pandemic. I find that impossible to believe. Really? My, my, my podcast listening is so, and I'm a huge podcast fan. Mm-hmm. My podcast listening has got to be 10% of where it was last spring. I can tell you, like, straight up from our numbers, we were down 20%, let's say, April and May, and then that was back to 100% by July, and then we're 120% at this point, so. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a New York-specific thing, but, you know, podcasts for me were commute and then occasional waddles to the gym, and those are both out, and so I really have to sort of make time to listen to a podcast or doing something instead of doing something else. So thank you is what I'm saying. Well, thank you, Peter, because we love you, and thanks for talking to us. Be well. Thanks. Thanks.